It's time for Lakes, Woods, and Irons at 1380 KLIZ The Fan, featuring Colin McDonald and Chris Foley. Today's broadcast is sponsored by Breezy Point Resort, your holiday station store on Mill Avenue and Cross Lake, Maury's Market, Rutgers Bay Lake Lodge, Ernie's on Gull, The Tea Hive, Halverson Law Office, and the Legacy Courses at Creggins. Streaming at lakeswoodsandirons.com, sponsored by Mills GM. And now here's Chris Foley and Colin McDonald for Lakes, Woods, and Irons at 1380 KLIZ, The Fan. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley, Colin McDonald with you, 1380 KLIZ, The Fan. Streaming at lakeswoodsandirons.com and now available at Podcast One. Chris, coming off uh, one of the funnest events of the year, the U.S. Open, and uh, uh, there's always uh, controversy involved with the U.S. Open. There's great play involved. There's uh, uh, players who feel like it's not fair, and uh, there's players who feel, of course, the guys who all make the cut and come close, they all think, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> uh, Brooks Kepka, he probably didn't mind the layout, I'm guessing. No, he, uh, boy, you know, for the defending champion to win the 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 U.S. Opens. Anytime you defend a championship, regardless if it's a major or not, is a is a huge deal. But to win back to back U.S. Opens is 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 pretty special. And uh, only the sixth player to ever do that. The last one being Curtis Strange uh, back in the late '80s. So it's uh, quite a win for Brooks Kepka. Played phenomenal. Uh, his putting on the weekend was world class. Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it just a short game in general. Sunday, the couple of the up and downs he made were were just incredible. The one on fourteen where he actually got up and down for for bogey was that was really the tournament I thought, or the kind of the defining moment of the tournament for him. But uh, uh, good stuff. Unfortunately, uh, the golf course and a ruling or two overshadowed the the U.S. Open again for. Uh, I don't know. It, it seems like every year it's uh, uh, there's some disappointment in uh, in the championship where it really isn't something overshadows the play of the tournament. <laughs> yeah, Phil's uh, behavior, what we're talking about, part of that Saturday when uh, when the tournament seemed to be getting away not only from the golf course and the players, but also from uh, uh, well, obviously Phil reached his breaking point at some point in there. <laughs> yeah. and, and uh, uh, it almost looked like a joke at first. He kind of ran after the ball and uh, took a jab at it before it ran down the hill. And we were talking off mic. Uh, they have those brownie points on there. That uh, Englishman is quite good. And uh, he kind of uh, showed well where Phil's ball probably would have wound up if he hadn't done that. And down the hill, off the green, behind the bunker, would have had a flop shot over the bunker to an impossible pin placement. And uh, so who knows? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I when I I didn't see it live, but I had I heard about it right after it happened, and uh, in between lessons, tried to look it up real quick on YouTube and saw it, and I thought, well, he just he, he lost his head, right? But you know, when he the explanation after he got done, he, it was it was very a very calculated move, and um, you know, really interesting. I don't know, it, it just. Uh, it was bothersome to me because it just is so against the the spirit and the integrity of the game. Um, you know the rule. The USGA could they, I, you know, they looked at it. There are two rules that could apply, and one is is Rule 19, which is a ball in motion stopped or deflected, uh, which they chose to use, and that's that's just a two shot penalty. 
And the other the other one that they they could have used is under Rule One, which one one dash two is exerting influence on the movement of the golf ball, which could also be a two stroke penalty. But if if they they deem it, it, it the committee can also choose to disqualify for that. And I think many people that thought that was the ruling that should have been used, um, but. You know, it, it was just a it was an interesting deal all around. Uh, uh, you know, I'm a big Phil Mickelson fan and always have been, but it uh, it just it was it was bothersome. Uh, so so like I said, so much against the spirit and the spirit and the integrity of the game, and uh, uh, finally came out with an apology mid midweek uh, on the deal, and so. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it won't damage uh, Phil's legacy in right. years to come. You know. Yeah, she said his wife said Sunday that he had, uh, uh, you know, he'd, he'd made a mistake and kind of admitted it yeah. to her basically. And he says uh, today I should have come to this sooner, but it's taken me a few days to calm down. My anger and frustration got the best of me last weekend. I'm embarrassed and disappointed by my actions. It clearly was not my finest moment, and I'm sorry. So, yeah, if he can move forward, I think I heard Colin Cowart talking about. Uh, you know, there's good people who have bad days, and there's bad people. And he was basically saying, "Listen, you know," and I would say that about Phil. He's a good person. Oh, he a gr- had, he yeah, had, he had a terrible day. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I I think if if you play if you play enough tournament golf, or if you've played tournament golf at some point, uh, you know, you, you reach a, a boiling play a boiling point, and uh, you know, you you lose your head. And I I I think that's what happened. And most of us, when we reach that boiling paint, just aren't on that stage. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. I've got some great friends who have uh, uh, seven irons that might still be in the trees at area golf courses. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, the toughest test in golf, they say, and it certainly was. I, uh, I, I think um, DJ uh, just lost his putter basically over the weekend. You, I mean, I watched most of Sunday or a good portion of it, and. Uh, he probably hit better shots than uh, than Kepka most of the most of the two days Saturday and Sunday, uh, but he couldn't make a putt. He missed. He must have missed four four putts on Sunday, maybe four feet or less, and uh, you can't do that. No, you know, D- Dustin was in total control of his golf ball the whole t- whole tournament, and um, you know, unfortunately, the, the guys who played Saturday afternoon, uh, you know, you're you're always. There, you get the good side of the draw and the bad side of the draw, whether you play in the morning or the afternoon. And uh, unfortunately, the leaders on Saturday it, it was a it was a six shot difference between the the players who teed off early in the day compared to the players who played late in the day, which is huge, especially in a in a major championship. Rarely does the you know does the back of the field play better than the the front of the field in any event. Um, but Dustin's putting was just the it was the difference. He he hit it better than anybody in the field. Forty one on Saturday on the front nine. Yeah, so uh, yeah. pretty unusual. <laughs> yeah, some great guests coming up. Uh, Bill Sinclair, our friend from uh, Torrey Pines, he's assistant superintendent there. He's set up U.S. Open courses. I'm interested to get uh, Bill's take on on what he thinks yes. of Saturday, and also. Uh, they're already getting. Tor- he said they're already uh, in our conversations. If we get them on, he said they're already getting Tory Pines ready, and that's three years down the road. Yeah, it's amazing what goes into the prep to host yeah. a major championship. And then Alan Cull. 
Yeah, Alan's the director of golf, the TPC Twin Cities. Uh, exciting announcement this week that the PGA Tour, for the first time in 50 years, is returning the Twin Cities for a regular tour stop. It should be fantastic. Yes. We'll both be great guests, and you'll, we'll be back. You're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley, Colin McDonald with you. 1380 KLIZ, the fan, and streaming at lakeswoodsandirons.com. Also available at uh, Podcast One. Chris, very special guest. I'll let you handle the uh, introduction and a big announcement for golf in Minnesota. Yeah, I want to introduce uh, good friend Alan Call, who is the director of golf at the TPC Twin Cities, uh, site of the current 3M championship on the Champions Tour. And uh, announcement this week in 2019, we're getting a, a P- regular stop in the PGA Tour, the 3M Open. Uh, Alan, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Uh, exciting week for you. Exciting week for golf in Minnesota. Uh, tell us about uh, tell us about the new uh, new announcement. Yeah, well, obviously a lot of buzz, and um, I think as uh, Hollis Gavner, our executive director for the event, uh, said during our press conference, it's uh, you know, been a long time in the works. Uh, a lot of behind the scenes discussions that he and his team have been putting into place, and uh, things came together rather quickly with. You know some of the new uh, the calendar schedule for 2018-19 on the tour, um, kind of getting a little bit constricted there with some moving of events, et cetera. So um, a lot of buzz, and since the press conference was uh, completed, it's been you know just nonstop. The phones are ringing, the emails are coming in, the texts are coming in. So uh, really exciting time for the club, the city, the county, the state. And as I share with some folks on Media Day, I mean, this isn't just a Minnesota event. It's going to be great for Minnesota, but it's an entire Upper Midwest event. For sure. Um, you know, I had people calling us from Fargo, from Sioux Falls, from Chicago, and, you know, wonder tickets going on sale. So um, really exciting time, and we're excited about the opportunity. And as you said, there's there's a lot of work ahead still. They they haven't announced a date yet, but you expect uh, uh, mid June to mid July. Is that, is that yeah? Right? I mean, you know, Minnesota. We only have so many months <laughs> that we can actually do it. So you know, depending on the schedule, and uh, unfortunately, I can't officially comment because we just don't know. Sure, that's part of what Mr. Kavner and his team are doing with the tour, and um, we expect I think a formal announcement on July 10th when the tour announces the schedule for next year. But yeah, it's got to fit in there somewhere between you know middle of June, middle of July, just because with the the new format with the FedEx Cup going from three events to two events starting in 19 and finishing with the Tour Championship um, before Labor Day, um, you'd you know, have to assume that it'll be you know done by the end of July for us here anyways. Yeah, the, the schedule's really getting condensed with the changes of the PGA Championship and the FedEx Cup. And you bet. So, Players moving to March. You bet. You bet. Now, and you, you guys have hosted the, the Champions Tour event for gosh, a number of years now. And, um, you know, for, for the Champions Tour, the golf course, they set it up, you know, not not much rough. It's fairly wide. Uh, golf course doesn't play overly hard for a Champions Tour event or a PGA Tour event. W- do you foresee some changes to the golf course? Obviously, it'll play a little longer, but uh, other changes that you foresee to host a regular tour event? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think at the end of the day, you know, the other part of the discussion I've told folks here in town you look at you know the twin cities metro and all the clubs that have gone through modifications renovations you know we're coming up on our 20th season since being open and the the 19th year of hosting the event or 18 this year actually but um 
a lot of that stuff is uh, normal process in, you know, mo- modernizing golf courses today. So, you know, irrespective of the fact that it's going to be a tour event versus PGA Tour champions, we would be doing some stuff anyways. But um, there's a lot of stuff on the on the table right now regarding, you know, adding length, narrowing some fairways, and those kind of things. So all of that is still yet to be determined, and um, you know, we'll know here very soon because whatever we do, um, it'll probably start here shortly after this year's 3M champ. So, and and that that's coming up shortly. What what were the dates for the the three M? It's July thirtieth through August fifth this year, I believe. And uh, yeah, exciting times. And we got uh, you know obviously put this year's event to bed and celebrate our uh, eighteen years with um, uh, the PGA Tour Champions Tour and three M Championship, and then basically pass the torch on uh, the day after to three M Open. So you bet. You know, I was thinking earlier today with with a guy like Steve Stricker, who's playing so well and playing both tours, maybe Stricker could win this year <laughs> <laughs> and then defend his title next year at the 3M Open. <laughs> there you go. That would be really cool. Chris always For likes sure. a good story. <laughs> yeah, of course. Who doesn't? Alan, about uh, tournament attendance, your anticipation of a PGA uh, Tour event versus a uh, the Champions Tour event is there. You must be anticipating uh, some big crowds. Oh yeah, it's uh, as I was telling some folks today, and members have been asking. And there's, you know, as you can imagine, thousands of questions, and unfortunately, we don't have all the answers yet. But I mean, this is a, uh, you know, I the parallel that I looked at was it's kind of like going from a St. Paul Saints game to the Twins. Um, you know, bigger attendance, bigger stadium, more people. Um, and, uh, you know, the fact that Minnesota is so golf hungry and crazy for an annual event, um, we expect it to be very, very big. And, you know, as I shared earlier, it's going to be a, a lot of things that we've got to get done between now and then. And, and even how we, you know, organize what happens here at the club, but the tournament office is phenomenal. They handle all that kind of stuff and, and specific tournament questions. I would, uh, refer it over to Mr. Kavner and his team, but here at the club anyways, um, we're excited and, um, looking forward to a great this year's event and then obviously the next year. The anticipation's been fun. Hollis Cavner, uh, of course, uh, a big uh, pusher behind lots of events in the Twin Cities, but uh, he was very, I don't know if it's a golf superstition, but for a while, you know, it, you know, you, you could. it seemed like it was going to happen, but he wouldn't say officially and until we get the headline, PGA confirms Minnesota return. So pretty exciting. No doubt, no doubt. We are extremely excited here at the club for the, the members and our staff and the community and uh can't wait as they say alan it's a, it's a year off but i'm sure the there'll be a lot of different volunteer opportunities where people can get involved when do you anticipate some of those things be becoming available where people can uh find out what how they can be more involved in the event you bet. Well, for this year, I think they are still taking some volunteers. So again, um, the 3M Championship Office is a great place to start. And and for us, we don't uh, handle that part of the operation. We'll handle the clubhouse and things that we do. But um, I would say, uh, Chris, quite frankly, you know, right after this year's 3M Championship, um, we'll have things kind of teed up and ready to go regarding 2019. And um, like I said, there's, there's a lot of work to get done between now and then. But I would say, you know, right after this year's event, we're going to start, you know, pumping the next year's event and um ready to go not quite as big as the Ryder cup but you've got to build a small city on your on your grounds don't you <laughs> no doubt no doubt there's a lot of work involved and a lot more hospitality and more spectators and 
you know, transportation. Again, that's all from the tournament office, but um, we're excited and cannot wait. Alan, T- TPC Twin Cities is part of the, the TPC network. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us about the golf facilities within that network and uh, are there opportunities to play some of those golf courses? Are they private clubs? What uh, Tell us about that. That's a great question. Well, uh, the TPC network is the um, official term is PGA Tour Golf Course Properties, Inc., and we're a subsidiary of the PGA Tour, which is a, a nonprofit trade association. And the golf clubs are, uh, I think we have a total of 19 right now. We have private facilities. We have resort facilities. We have daily fee, and then we have also licensed facilities that are across the United States and also some internationals um, that our members have access to. Um, you know, from, from a public's perspective, you know, any of the resort and daily fee facilities they have access to, you can go to tpc.com. You can play those clubs. Um, on the private side, our members uh, have access to both our private clubs and the resort facilities. And, um, you know, they're uh, we're owned and operated by the tour and uh um, lots of options for folks across the country to play a TPC around uh, golf time. Yeah, what's neat is, you know, the TPC Sawgrass, where they hold the Players' Championship, and then uh, the TPC Scottsdale, you know, two two tour stops that people have the opportunity to play if uh, if they're in those areas. Yeah, and I, on top of that, too, you look at some of the bigger facilities like TPC San Antonio a few years ago came online, and they've got 36 holes. You know, here in our market, I mean, not directly close, but you know the closest for us would be TPC Deer Run. Oh sure. Um, in the Quad Cities, which is I think is a four-hour, five-hour drive, and um, we have plenty of our folks that go down that way early in the spring to get some golfing before the snow melts up here. And uh, phenomenal facility, host the John Deere Classic, and that is open to the public uh, each and every day. So there are some opportunities for Minnesotans to get out and play some golf at other TPC clubs. Uh, that's great, and they're they're always great experiences. The the staff at them were wonderful, and the golf courses are always in fantastic condition. Well, thank you. Six point uh, six, or near a seven million dollar purse. So I'm guessing some PGA guys are coming to town. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. Uh, well, good stuff, Alan. We'll, we really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to to come on and share uh, share some exciting news for golfers in Minnesota. We appreciate it, and uh, thanks for your support and promoting the game of golf for us, guys. Thanks, Alan. You got it. You're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley. Chris uh, giving a golf lesson as we speak. Uh, 1380 KLIZ, the fans streaming at lakeswoodsandirons.com and now available on Podcast One. Got a special guest, friend of the program. He's been on with us uh, a couple years ago now, it's been. Bill Sinclair, assistant uh, golf course superintendent at Torrey Pines. Kind of a unique perspective from Bill coming up because uh, he set up U.S. Opens and uh, and he's been at U.S. Opens to see how to set up the next ones. And uh, Torrey Pines, uh, down the road, Bill, you're already locked in for 2021, right? Yeah, 2021 is our U.S. Open, so we're already in final preparation for that. It's amazing right how, how early you get on it. I was surprised when... Uh, well, we contacted you before to see if you could come on with us, and you were saying uh, things are already changing for 2021, huh? Yeah, they they, they start way in advance. We'll, we'll have a uh, USGA agronomist on site two years out. He'll be there every day. But uh, as of right now, there's some they've been out a couple of times to make some changes to the golf course just to have it uh, ready for what they're want for what they want. Yeah, yeah. We'll get back to Tory and uh, the setup for 2021, which will be great. 
Um, we just both watched uh, some of the U.S. Open, Bill. I'm sure you watch with interest, uh, maybe more so as oh, far yeah. as the setup and everything. Uh, they got a fair amount of criticism on Saturday when the course dried out and the the difference between Saturday morning and Saturday afternoon, I think Chris said was six shots on the average player in the field. So that's a yeah. huge difference, isn't it? It is a huge difference. And there's a lot, a lot of things that went wrong um, when you look at what actually happened. I mean, yes, they, they got it wrong. They, they weren't expecting the wind, and the wind hit them. There's a, they have a, a, weather, a weather guy on site, their own personal weather guy that is supposed to take care of them. I'm not sure his job's all that safe right now. <laughs> <laughs> but um, besides that, you know, they're, when they set the golf course up, they've got to be very careful because the course is at such an edge all week, and it's, it'll be the same for us. It'll be on edge, but you can't let it get over that edge. Right, yeah. You've got to protect that. And they failed to do so on Saturday. Then they overreacted on Sunday and put probably too much water down. And then the course became a whole different golf course on Sunday. Which yeah. Was kind of a shame, I thought. Yeah, it was a different golf course on Sunday. And Saturday, you know, for a portion of the day, I think it was real good. And then, uh, uh, but boy, that uh, by late afternoon and a couple of the, mostly it was pin placement, they seem to be saying. And, uh, I think the USGA and nobody wants the players to be embarrassed, and there was an opportunity no. there for players to get embarrassed on the two or three holes. Yeah, there was a, there was probably three holes where they where they made some some pen placement disasters. That um, you know, it's it's really it's, it's really unfortunate that that that, that had to happen that way. But I think all all in all, the Saturday round was a little too much over the top. Yeah, yeah. And there were some things that I think went probably went wrong. Number one is the communication skills between the golf course superintendent and the USGA ahead of time has to be, you have to know exactly what they want because the superintendent knows his property. The USGA are there for a couple of years. They don't really know the property as well as the golf course superintendent does. Sure. So you, what, what typically happens, if, uh, depends how long the superintendent's been there, but if he knows his property, he wants to be the one making those decisions on exactly where to get the golf course. If the USGA makes those decisions, then they're kind of going by the seat of their pants, which it kind of looked like what happened over Saturday and Sunday, which which really can't happen. You can't you can't have that. Yeah, so, and they've they've run into it a, a couple of times now. They need to yeah. <laughs> they need to start getting it dialed in on a regular basis. Well, that's for sure. yeah, these these decisions need, need to be had well. And I mean, yes, weather does make a difference, but it can't make the total difference. You know, you have to have a control of your golf course where you know what you, you know what it can do. You know what you can do to it to get you where you need to be. I so, mean, they didn't have any rain, so there was really no no excuse for it. Right. I don't think. So, Bill, they've got an idea. Then, uh, say it's uh, the blueprint, I guess, if you will, for the perfect setup for Saturday. Then the weather changes, yeah. and they decide they should have decided we've got uh, three or four or five holes that we need to make a make a change on. Well, it was too late by that time. There was no wind when they teed off. You know, once once you set a golf course up, you can't change it. Sure, yeah. So it's you know, it was by that by that point, it's too late. The wind wasn't up when they made those decisions, and but you have to anticipate some kind of a wind. They had wind all three days before that. Yeah, I'm not yeah. sure why they were expecting there to be no wind. They had some kind of a wind even on Thursday and Friday, and the golf course played, I thought, pretty fair on Thursday and Friday. It's not. It's not supposed to be an easy golf course. It's supposed to be a, the U.S. Open. It's supposed to be a very hard golf course. Right. Exactly. They, yeah. really, they really want par to be a good score. Yeah. Yeah. That's their. That's their goal. 
for the most part. It sure took the Spieth McElroy Mickelson group apart, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's another story. <laughs> yeah. That was surprising, those three guys, man. Uh, yeah. And then the Tiger, of course, pretty much the same thing. He he never got uh, anywhere near playing no. decent golf either, really. No, it's, uh, I, I just don't think he's quite ready. He's on the right track, though, I think. I think, was, I think Tiger Woods is on the right track, and he may be back here. Maybe not winning majors, but... Certainly on the top of the leaderboard and winning some some tour events. Oh, I think really. so too. So he's, yeah. he's on yeah. he's on course. I think. Yeah, nobody works harder than Tiger, so that will be. No, uh, and he just he just came back. You got to give him a break. He just yeah. came back. He's only back for what three four months. Agreed. Yeah, not enough time. Let's talk, uh, Bill, a little bit about Tory Pines and uh, huh? the uh, set. You had the uh, Open there in uh, two thousand and eight. You were heavily involved with that, and the year before yes. you'd gone to Oakmont two thousand and seven to kind right. of, uh, uh, I guess, kind of fig- uh, see how they do it, and uh, you wanted to be obviously obviously uh, prepared when it came to your place. Well, I, I was actually there not for the, the tour. I was there for the advance week, which is the week before the tournament. Okay. So I just, my, I, what my concern was was setup, the setup of the golf course and how they wanted it. Because I, I need to know, you need to know what questions to ask the USGA, you know, how do you want the golf course to play? You know, how, how firm do you want it, how wet do you want it? What height of rough? The, the, the course setup has changed significantly from 2008 to today. If you look at the way that that uh, Shinnecock was set up, there was a pretty wide fairway, yeah, and then a really thick first cut. The first cut was probably two and a half to three inches long, and then it was right to the heavy stuff. Well, at Torrey Pines in 08, we had a graduated rough. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. Okay. Where the rough gradually got thicker depending on how badly you hit it. You went 10 yards, then it was two and a half inches. You went 25 yards, then it was three and a half inches, all the way to five and a half inches, depending on how bad you hit it. If you got to the five and a half inch, you were just chopping out sideways. Sure, yeah, yeah. So it was, it was just, it was determined on, you know, how wide the, how bad the shot was, was punished accordingly. Sure, yeah. How they did it. They haven't done it like that for a while, though. So I'm not sure if the, if the process might change again or, but it's all going to be about the greens. It's all going to be about how the how the greens are prepared. Yep, yep. The uh, history of the course. Get those greens ready for that. And it takes. Uh, that's all part of the preparation now. Like you're saying, an uh-huh. agronomist on site, uh, uh, even as uh, I mean, three years out, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, two years. He's there every day. Two years out. Um, the year before, we'll likely airify the greens six times that year. Okay. Wow. Instead of normally, we airify the greens three times. Yep, yep. We'll probably airify the greens six times that year because you, you've got to get the lot of sand down so that when you do stress the plant out, it can handle that amount of stress. You know, when you look at the greens at, at uh, Shinnecock, they weren't handling the stress real good. They were getting pretty baked out on Thursday. You can see it on Thursday right, how yeah. baked out they were. Yep. And then they just totally lost control of it. Well, you, by agronomically taking care of that, Years, two years ahead of time, you can you can avoid that. Sure, okay. By having an extremely healthy plan that when you do stress it out, it can handle it. We're talking to Bill Sinclair. He's assistant superintendent at uh, Torrey Pines. Bill, the history of the course, the uh, uh, the Andy Williams came there, I, th- I think, mm-hmm. kind, of, kind of famous in 1968. Andy Williams is a big backer of golf, and it was yep. the Andy Williams for many, many years, and the, the U.S. Open course will be the south course. It's a... It's a 36-hole municipal course, so that's uh, I always love that that it's a, that it's a muni that uh, 
you know, it can be over for a week or two, and then we can go play. <laughs> yeah, yep. Yeah. You're playing a couple of days after the tournament. They're regularly playing the golf course. Yeah. Now, not the North Course, because the North Course will be, it'll take a long time for that to recover after the U.S. Open. Yeah, yeah. Because that, that's where all the infrastructure is for the U.S. Open. It's on the other golf course. Sure, the small the small city that needs to be built. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> The South Course for our listeners, Bill, is the, is the famous course that's seen on TV that uh, yes. that uh, Tiger has loved and Phil has loved over the years. Both those guys have played quite well at Torrey over the years, and I don't know how many wins they have between them, but quite a few. They've got quite a few. Yeah, they they both they both done really well on the South Course at Torrey Pines, especially Tiger Woods. Yeah, he's really he, he's he's always played well. Obviously, lately he hasn't, but he just he just came back in the game. But he's always played, whenever he is healthy enough, he always plays at Torrey Pines, as does Phil. And they both come out and they play at the farm. Now it's called the Farmers Insurance Open. Yeah, yeah, Farmers Insurance, yeah. We have, we have it every year. And what's the difference, Bill? You're out there working it every day, and the difference between the Farmers Insurance that we see every year on TV and then the U.S. Open in 2021, how, how big a difference? <laughs> it's completely different. I, I, I tell my guys, I've got a lot of fairly new guys on the crew right now, and I and they're all thinking, well, it's going to have a tournament. No. You can multiply the preparation for the Farmers Insurance Open by 10 to put a U.S. Open on it. There's a lot more preparation. It starts a lot earlier. The golf course is closed for about a month and a half before the tournament. You know, we, we only get three days of course closure and prior to a Farmers Insurance Open. We get a month and a half for the U.S. Open. No kidding. <laughs> so it's a lot different. Yeah, everything, everything is got to be perfect exactly the way they wanted it. It's, it's your national championship. It's supposed to be a, a very tough test of golf. It's not supposed to be fun. <laughs> it's supposed to be a, a, what it was at Shinnecock, other than when they lost it. It was going just fine. You know, one over par, one to tournament. That's what they're looking for. Yeah, yeah. You know, 2008, um, even par won the tournament at Torrey Pines. So that's, that's, what they're, that's, what they're, that's what their goal is. Sure, that's what they're looking for. Yeah, and a couple of identify uh, the best golfer. Yeah, I I love that about it. Actually, I don't uh, yeah. I don't mind a few a few strokes over par or anything like that, like they had at no. uh, Wingfoot, which is coming up now again before too long. They've had some uh, scores at Wingfoot over par, certainly. They have. And uh, it's well, uh, the, the thing about Tory. At least at Tory, we can control the weather. There's not going to be any bad weather. Seventy-five you know, and with, sunny. With the June, we never get bad weather. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, that's that, that's that's one thing you can take away from the equation. <laughs> that's San Diego weatherman jokes, isn't it? Seventy-five and sunny. That's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that is not that is a huge advantage, I think, for you guys prepping the course, isn't it? It really is. It really is a huge advantage. You can really take that golf course exactly where you want it. So with Pebble and Wingfoot and uh, Torrey Pines and uh, and just at Shinnecock, boy, I don't know if you could find uh, four better golf courses to represent the U.S. Open. No, there's some good ones coming up. Yeah. I'm a little biased, of course. You know, I'm kind of partial to Torrey Pines. but <laughs> I'll bet. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's going to be fun. It's, it'll be a fun tournament. So what's your main takeaway, Bill, as an assistant superintendent there, that uh, obviously you don't want to see some of the things that happened at Shinnecock happen at Torrey? No, we don't. And that, that's why we sent advanced guys out. There was, there was two, our director of golf and assistant director of golf went this week, and the we're checking all that. We had a big meeting about it already, about how they how they did the setup for that golf course. And you, every every time you go to one, you learn exactly what the U because the USGA 
they'll change. They're not they're not afraid to change the way they do things to get it right. Yeah. Yeah. And they and they will. And uh, as long as it, as long as it, we're making the decisions on what we do to the golf course, everything will be fine because we know exactly what we got. Sure. Yeah. So everything should should work out. It works. I mean, our, our U.S. Open in two thousand eight was again. I'm biased, but I think one of the best U.S. Opens in history. Tiger was one on one leg. It was, the, yeah. On, they, the ni- on the 19th hole in a playoff. <laughs> they showed it uh, the, several times before, at least highlights yeah, from like it. 18 uh, holes on the Monday, then then it went to the 19th hole. And there's the, the super trivia quiz, what hole did Tiger Woods win it on? He actually won on number seven. That is good trivia. I would have missed that one. right there. Because <laughs> they finished on 18 and were still tied. Yeah. And number seven is directly across from 18. And the U.S. said, let's just go here. <laughs> they went over to seven. They played seven. Tiger won on number seven. That's where he, he has that flag, and he's a flag for number seven in his house. Oh, very cool. Because he always, you know, the caddy always takes a flag off the pole, and the player gets that flag. Right, yeah. As a, as a winner of the championship. Bill, when do you come to visit us here in the Lakes area? Coming up pretty soon. We're going to come uh, uh, second week in July, about third week in July, I believe, we're coming up there. Well, let's you and I go play golf and then uh, sit sit on the sit on the patio at Zorba's and have one. What do you think of that idea? That sounds like a great plan. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, I sure appreciate you. Definitely do that. Bill, I sure appreciate you coming on and joining us. I'm anxious to see you when you get here, and I uh, uh, really appreciate the time. No problem. Thanks a lot, Mike. Thanks. That's Bill Sinclair, Assistant Superintendent at Torrey Pines. They're already prepping for the 2021 U.S. Open at Torrey. You're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons, 1380 KLIZ, streaming at lakeswoodsandirons.com and now available, as we've been saying, at Podcast One. And a special thanks to Alan Call from uh, TPC and Bill Sinclair from Torrey Pines. Uh, uh, a couple of high-profile guests with us today, Chris. No kind question. Of, kind of fun to have those guys on. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, U.S. Open in the books, and now the guys look down the road to the British Open, and uh, uh, Phil tries to eat some crow for a short period of time. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully short. And uh, yes, uh, he was still quite popular Sunday in New York with the crowd uh, as he was trying to get around after his faux pas on Saturday. Yeah, surprisingly, New York crowds are not very forgiving, and uh, they still love Phil. So that that's uh, hopefully a good sign of things to come. Kepka and DJ are so much alike. It was very interesting to watch them. They uh, they of course uh, Jack Buck kept saying you know like the uh, or yeah Jack Buck uh, Joe Buck yeah Joe Buck yeah Jack's Jack's dad, son, yeah. son. Uh, how they looked like the uh, kind of gunslingers you know they both kind of just have that loose way about them they they walk kind of a confident walk and uh, both of them kind of say you know I don't really worry about things I don't, if if I if I lose a tournament Dustin said it many times it doesn't really bother me I mean goes off my back i want to win i try yeah. to win when i don't win uh, it's not the end of my world basically yeah you know there, there was a great interview with uh with wayne gresky his uh i guess you call him his father-in-law yeah. and um um and it really is very insightful and i th- i think dustin cares a lot more than he leads off uh but he, uh, you know, two very similar personalities, and they they spend a lot of time together. They they share the same trainer. They they work with the same coach. So, um, gosh, two great players, and uh, 
Uh, I want to see those two paired up in the Ryder Cup together. Right. Man, what a team. Yes. And what an example of, uh, well, a father-in-law figure who has really helped Dustin. I mean, he went through some definite struggles, had to take yeah. six months off the one year. and and uh, But in that interview that you're talking about, one of the great things Gretzky said was, he didn't really have a 365-day routine, and I'm thinking, <laughs> no wonder Wayne Gretzky and the players and Nicholas and Woods and every sport has them, LeBron James, yeah. they have a 365-day routine. They the, don't. Do they plan everything about their about yeah. their game? There, there's a reason why uh, Gretzky is called the Great One. Yeah. It. Uh, yeah. He he has had a. I don't think anybody will ever. Realize the impact he's had on Dustin Johnson. Big, he plays a big responsibility in for in why Dustin Johnson is the number one player in the world and the influence he's had on him over the past five or six years. Yeah, yeah, that was very interesting. Yeah. You're right; it was a great segment, and uh, I mean, just a uh, a guy who was at the absolute top of his game for about 15 years and giving advice to another player. Uh, we did get a question, kind of interesting. We had. Uh, uh, our friend Troy, who's listened to the show uh, often, and uh, he says, I'm watching the U.S. Open. Can the pro players see the pin placements before they start their round? And it follows it up with, what advice do you give to a weekend warrior for approaching greens to a course that he's never played before? Yeah, that's a great question, Troy. And the players do, um, they get a, a what's called a pin sheet prior to the start of a round, which gives them uh, basically the measurements from front of green and either the right or left side of the green. So they know uh, exactly where the pins are uh, as they approach, uh, approach play and really helps with, with strategy as far as the, the angles that they uh, ideally want to you know, hit their drive from so they can have the best angle to approach the green from. And uh, so I, I, most major big amateur events will, will have a pin sheet like that as, as well as uh, every day on the PGA Tour. And uh, second part of the question, what, you know, how can a, a weekend warrior, um, you know, approach a golf course that they've never played? And, you know, I, I think one of the, the best things you can do, regardless of the course you've played or not, is if you, if you just aim for the fat part of the green – and make that your target. And if if you're on the the right side of the hole in the fat part of the green um, on a consistent basis, and really don't go after the pins unless it's you know you, you've got a very short club or wedge in your hands, you're going to play really good golf. And uh, especially when you don't know the golf course, middle of the green never hurts you. Yeah, and I I've been uh, trying to take your advice. I've just played, been able to play a couple times so far this year, but now I should be back on a nor- normal schedule. But that that thirty foot uh, on the practice green that we were talking about a couple weeks back on the show, where you just put a mark in the green and just hit the lag putt thirty feet and go yeah. back and back and back. I I mean, it may, golf's so mental that if I think it helps me, it probably helps me. But <laughs> right. it, it seems like it helps me. You know, if you if you look at like on the PJ Tour, and I, I think this would hold true for most golf courses, the average width of a green is 80 feet. So you've got 40 feet on each side of the, you know, the center of the green. And um, 
if if you hit it to the center, that you know, if you try to hit it to the center of the feet, green, some of your shots are going to be right of that, some of your shots are going to be left of that. But if you stay within that that forty feet each side, you're never going to be in in too much trouble, unless you're playing Shinnecock on Saturday. Yeah. Then you got eighty footers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I thought that uh, Fox did a really nice job with kind of their lifestyle pieces, uh, Brownie Points and the Gretzky interview, and they had a nice one with Jack about uh, inventing the uh, the yardage card. And he was the first guy, and he said, I kept him for, uh, like he had one at the Masters, and he kept it, used it for 20 years. Right. And, uh, of course, they, this, then they started to make them. But yeah. he was saying the great story I thought of you because uh, – he uh, says, how far are we? And the guy says, about 150 yards. And Jack says, it's 153. And the guy goes, well, what difference does that make? And Jack <laughs> says, that makes a lot of difference. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, at that level, it makes a lot of difference. But, yeah, he, Jack was really Dean Beeman, who was commissioner of the PJ Tour, was really the first guy who – Kind of, who put that that thought in Jack's head, and Dean Beeman was kind of the first guy who spent a lot of time walking yardages off and and really kind of charting the golf course. And Jack took it to a different level. And his um, his caddy, his longtime caddy Angelo, yeah, um, if you remember him, he had big white afro big and tall guy, yeah. yeah. And Angelo was the first guy who who really got in the yardage book business and uh, kind of stopped caddying for Jack and and was making yardage books for all the players. And um, he he was the kind of the first guy who who did that and provided them to to the players and it uh uh really changed the strategy and the, the kind of the course of the PJ tour how the guys look at the golf course. Yeah, he was very it was very interesting to watch him of course because he's a thinking man and jack and he said uh that's what I love about golf. I don't want to shoot, you know, use the nothing wrong with it because everybody yeah. uses it. Okay, it's 152 yards. Jack wanted to look at it, know how far it was and hit it. Yeah. Not to have a not to have somebody tell him exactly he wanted to know exactly himself. Yeah, you know, and that art, uh I mean it's really a lost art and uh kids today, for instance, they when they look at a yardage, they don't see it like you did twenty five years ago. When I was growing up you had to you know, they had a hundred and fifty yard marker or bush and maybe a hundred yard yeah. So you, you had you had to get good at being able to see and feel yardages and um, a lot of kids today, I, I I really harp on this with with the kids that I coach. You got to be able to look at it and see it and have a good idea uh, without using your your range finder, and um, it it helps you because you seeing it and feeling it, uh, and then taking into account the environment, the wind, uphill, downhill. Uh, that I think that adds to a player's repertoire and. Uh, and add some confidence. It, it it eliminates some of the doubt and anxiety if you uh, if you have a feel for that and some confidence in your ability to do that. So, yeah, agreed. And, and the, the feel of the game in your feet yeah. and in your hands, and when you're hitting those kind of uh, uh, ninety-seven yard shots, and uh, and it got to take a little bit off in your head. It's, yeah, uh, yeah, it's uh, the feel of the game. I agree. Uh, Tito's Handmade Vodka sponsors our 19th hole, so uh, thanks to Tito's Handmade Vodka for being with us all year. I think we have a we might have a little special British Open show down the road a ways, and uh, 
We'll see if we uh, Tito's handmade vodka might help us out. Help us get through the show, Chris. <laughs> that's uh, that's always a good thing. <laughs> we might be nervous in front of a big crowd, that's so we'll right. take the edge off a little that's bit. That's right. There you go. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. A great lineup. Thank you, Matt. You've been listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ. Thanks for listening to today's edition of Lakes, Woods, and Irons. Today's broadcast is sponsored by Breezy Point Resort, your holiday station store on Mill Avenue and Cross Lake. Maury's Market, Rutgers Bay Lake Lodge, Ernie's on Gull, The Tea Hive, Halverson Law Office, and The Legacy Courses at Craigans. Streaming at lakeswoodsandirons.com, sponsored by Mills GM. We now return to our regularly scheduled program at 1380 KLIZ, The Fan.